Are you ready to study the scripture? Yes. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. If you have your Bible with you, if you have a smartphone, then turn on your Bible to Matthew 28, uh, verse 18. As you may know, we've been in a series for the last um, six weeks. This will be the final installment of this series called Do This, Not That. And it's really about uh, us prioritizing our lives, trying to get our lives to line up with the scriptures and to make sure that we're working our lives, in, in our lives, with what matters most. That what matters most is out in front of us, that it is the thing we're, we're focusing our attention on, and that our lives are lining up with what God has said. So uh, we're going we're gonna to do this, uh, this part today is number six. We started with cultivating a heart and a hunger for God. Uh, the second week we did uh, fight for your family. The third week we did uh, make your money matter, and God has an opinion of your money, mostly because it's connected to your heart, typically. And then number, uh, f- let's see, number four was building a culture of community, making sure we're surrounded by people that love us and we're investing in those relationships. And then last week was we did um, taking care of your temple, and health and fitness. It was so awesome last week because I served donuts out in the lobby. <laughs> Right afterwards, and it was Super Bowl Sunday too, which was crazy. So anyway, uh, it was great. And then this week is be a disciple, make a disciple. Be a disciple, make a disciple. So these six things kind of construct for us, I think, the grid for prioritizing our lives. And so we're gonna we're read from the the a few passages here, and then I want to talk to you about something that's really. I think very meaningful for me as a pastor, and I think essential and central to our church. And so let's pray over the scripture. Father, thank you for the beauty of the word of God, how it illuminates, how it recreates, how it shows us how to live. And we we say thank you for that. And we ask for revelation and understanding, insight, intuition, understanding, all that you want to give us, Lord, we receive it. Give us grace then to apply it. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 28, 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. He's saying he has all authority and that authority is now being transferred, which is why the scripture says, therefore, in verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. If you read the way this passage is written, it is the emphasis often in English, we want to put it on the go, but in in actuality, the way it was written initially, originally, was the emphasis is really on the disciple. The emphasis is on making disciple. And the the way it's phrased, the grammar of it, is you're going to be going. And as you're going, as you find yourself in different locations, wherever you find yourself, with whatever culture you find yourself in, make disciples. So, so Jesus is telling them, he's giving them instruction. Of course, this is known as the Great Commission. Deci- make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love this phrase, and I think it has more... It has more for us than just water baptism. I think if we immerse people in understanding the love of the Father, that they are a a son or daughter of the King, 
and he loves them, that they understand the sacrificial nature of God uh, in, in Jesus, his son, as he sent him to the earth to die for our sins. And if we understand the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you are really on your way to knowing who God is and who you are as his child. And so we have to immerse people into these ideas and we have to teach them, verse 20 says, to obey everything I have commanded you. Now teaching them what to obey is a lot easier than teaching them how to obey. We have to teach one another how to obey. We have to engage in each other's lives. There's modeling attached to this. There's walking side by side and sharing what God is doing in our lives together. It's, it's, a, it's a modeling process. It's a relational process. So he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Many of us in this room are uncomfortable with the idea of what it would look like for us to make a disciple. And the reason we're uncomfortable with it is because we have bought into the American mindset that I don't have any right to speak into the, the life of another person. What right do I have? My life's not, not all together. My, my life's kind of messed up. Therefore, I'm disqualified in, in some way of thinking, ever speaking the truth to anyone else. That's an American idea, not a kingdom idea. Jesus knows that you're not altogether. In fact, there's two things in our church that have really been important to me over the last three years that I think we're going to have, we're, we're going to discover more about. And one of those is that this would be a place where people can come and be part of our community. They could belong to our community even though they know they don't have it all together. This should be a place where people are trying to figure it out. This should be a place where people don't have to put on a nice shiny face. Hi, hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. No, if, if something's going on inside, they let people know it and we embrace them wherever they're at, wherever they are in their journey, whether they're a seeker or whether they're a believer or, or no matter what is going on within them, that this becomes a place where they can belong. That's really important. But the second Thing that's really essential to me is that we also be a place where we'll walk with people who are in process and actually make disciples. That we will walk with them and engage with them and engage with one another and invest our lives in each other in a real and tangible and genuine way so that we all become better followers of Jesus. And in I would say the last 18 months I've been on a journey, on a mission to figure this out in our church. And I don't know that I have it figured out. But I have it more figured out now than I did 18 months ago. And I think in 18 months we'll have some different ways that we're going to articulate pathways where people are being made followers of Jesus. I don't think... I think it's so important for us to understand that Jesus was calling his disciples. I don't know if you've read the Gospels recently, but if you do, you will notice that the disciples were a mess. They, they lacked faith. They lacked courage. They, they, they thought wrongly about all kinds of things, about all kinds of people. They, they had religious baggage. They, they thought Jesus was going to be the king and conquer everybody and the Romans. And they, they, didn't, they couldn't figure it out. And yet Jesus gave them power and authority in Luke 9. That he said, I want to give you power and authority to cast out demons and heal people everywhere. He let them do the stuff even though they weren't together. 
Can I just tell you, you get to do the stuff. You get to do the stuff. We get to do the stuff. We're, it's, not, it's, not, it's not hidden from us if we'll be willing to surrender our lives. Go to Luke chapter 9, and we'll just uh, pick up there another phrase that Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples. Luke 9 and verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Here's what Jesus said. He said, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Three things here. One is, if you want to be a disciple, right? That's a miracle, by the way. The sp- a supernatural miracle that God does in us to realize that it's his story, not ours, and that he's in charge, and that he's the, the ruler and creator of all things, and we surrender our lives to him. That, that is a miracle as that happens. That requires revelation. It requires a picture that is painted for people. They need, they, so often they need to come to the end of themselves, and that's often very difficult and sad and a struggle, but Jesus is revealed to them, and they realize life has no meaning without him. When you want to be a disciple, that's a miracle. So what do you do if you want to be a disciple? Deny yourself. Mm. Take up your instrument of death every day. Not every week, not once a month, not once a year. I go to the cross whether I need it or not. No, every day we take up our cross and we follow him. Verse 24 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you try to control your life, if you try to keep control and try to uh, author your own way of life, you'll end up losing it. You'll squeeze the life out of yourself. You think you're enjoying it all the way, but it's squeezing the life out of you. But if you'll lose your life, if you'll give it up, if you'll surrender it to me, if you'll offer it to me and to others, then life will somehow supernaturally come and, and, and begin to be birthed out of you. Life will come. Now, as, as, as Jesus is saying this, you know, you could be thinking, man, this is, this is a downer to be, have to deny myself and take up my cross. That's, that, that's hard. That's hard, Jesus. Listen, you might think Jesus might need new PR, a new PR firm to, to say, hey, you know, could you lighten up on the cross talk? Because, you know, that really scares people away. But he didn't do that. He went right for the heart. He went right to the, the, the source of the issue. And, and so it's kind of like the health industry, you know, if you, you, you've seen it, they're all wrestling with this thing and, and diet fads and all this stuff. One person says, who wants to eat bean sprouts and raw vegetables and tofu? Does anybody love tofu? Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> but then on the other side is there's this, there's this who wants to live well, feel good, and live a long time. Right? Me? Oh, it, it, sign me up for that. You mean I have to eat bean sprouts to do that? Oh, it's similar. It's similar to discipleship. Discipleship is not bad news. Discipleship is good news. Becoming a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is not weird and cultic. It's actually a freedom and life. And, and if, you, if you choose to be a disciple, there is a, a willingness to give up your life. But what you get in return is so much better 
It's so much greater, and it astounds me how we, including me, think that the life that I can live and control myself is somehow so much better than what God might be able to give me if I just surrendered everything. But somehow it's stuck in my mind. I just want to read some ideas. Here's some things in the scripture. I just did it off the top of my head. The benefits of being a disciple. You ready? I want, so Jesus, Jesus instructed us how uh, we, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to ourselves, and, and surrender to him. Here's what happens when you do that. Number, number one, eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. Not only life eternal, but life here and now awesome, amazing life here and now, abundant life. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes not only to, or the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Peace, Jesus promised peace. John 14, 27, he told the disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give, you as the, I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus said, you don't have to be afraid if, if you'll just receive my peace. Fruit, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. There's an admission that we can do nothing in and of ourselves, but when we're plugged into him as the vine, he begins to produce fruit that is really good. Power, power. God gives us power. Acts 1, 8, Jesus told his disciples, says, wait here. Wait here, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You can receive power and authority. As John 14 says, John 14, 12 says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Wait, 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 wait. What did Jesus do? He healed people. He saw people kind of... Uh, delivered from their oppression he he saw he saw blind eyes open he saw people come back from the dead to life okay so so you 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 see what i'm saying here jesus is saying you can do what he did and more i know you don't believe it do you it's crazy it just it's nuts yeah it takes faith he says and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. Love is something that we receive from, from God in John 14. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. God's presence, his love, his all-consuming love will wrap his arms around us. Comfort is the next one. 2 Corinthians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we, we ourselves have received from God. God gives us everything we need. That's the last one. Second Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Hey, the exchange is in your favor. <laughs> you give up 
all that you want to do, <laughs> and then you give over to him, and he gets to do all he wants to do for you and in you. Now, here's the problem. You really have to, you really have to be willing to surrender to him because he's the Lord, not just to get the stuff. Because if you're just doing it to get the stuff, then when a difficult period comes, or God's trying to teach you perseverance and walking with you through a valley of the shadow of death, you'll, you'll, st you'll stop there and say, God, where are you? I don't, even, I, I don't even get it, right? Because you were after the wrong thing. You weren't after him. You were after all the stuff. There's a... There's a there's a realization that God is the one who created you. And he's the one who reigns over all the, all the earth. And he's the one who's going to return again at judgment day. And there is an acknowledgement of that. And as you acknowledge and as you surrender to him, he draws you to himself. And he makes you into the image of his son. So what does a disciple look like? What does it look like? What, what does a disciple look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. A person who acts, thinks, and feels like Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, Pastor Ross, but I'm not Jesus. There is a deal here where we have to believe that God is working something in us where he is uh, 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 reworking the inside of us so that we can act, think, and feel like Jesus. We are having compassion on others. We, our mind begins to function like Jesus' mind. We can actually have the mind of Christ. That's what the Bible says. We actually can act in a way that is just like Jesus. A person who is a disciple needs to be a person who is, who has a spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and social attachment to Jesus. Now, we don't talk about this very much because, because sometimes we just talk about Jesus being in our heart. So we don't talk a lot about an intellectual, emotional, or social attachment to Jesus. If you have a social attachment to Jesus, that means that it's, it's meaningful to him who you spend time with. If you just have a spiritual picture of Jesus, an attachment to Jesus, well, and, and, and you don't have a social attachment, well, that means you come to church on Sunday and you, you worship God and you kind of get the good feelings and then you're out partying on Friday night. That's a social detachment from Jesus. Uh, uh, an emotional detachment from Jesus would be you're super excited about God working in your life unless... You need to live together with another person for financial reasons because, you know, she's really a cool person. We're going to get married anyway at the end of this, so we, we go ahead and we live together. Right? That's, what that is is an intellectual detachment to the scripture and what it says. So there's a spirit. There, it, has to, it has to cover every realm of your life. It has, to, it has to involve itself in every part of your life. We don't just trust Jesus to be real, right? Because, you know, James 2.19 says that the, even the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder. <laughs> so even demons believe in Jesus. Believing in him is not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's got to be more than just, oh, I believe he's real. No, you have to trust him. You have to be willing to give him your life. 
You have to be willing to lay down your life and follow him. This is the definition of a disciple. Thank you. <laughs> a disciple, I'm using as a, as a definition, a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus who surrenders all to make disciples of Jesus. A lifelong learner. So you don't just learn it once. Oh, I, I prayed the prayer. It's over. It's done. Actually, it, it continues. Life with Jesus continues. A follower of Jesus who's surrendering all to make disciples of Jesus. So it, it really, it comes down to one thing. Becoming a disciple will only cost you really one thing. Everything. It costs you one thing your whole life. Becoming a, becoming a disciple of Jesus is really a life of surrender. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 14. All right, you can read it on the screen. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. If you hold everybody up, else up, it looks like you love Jesus more than everybody else. That's what he's saying. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Ouch. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. If you skip down to verse 33, he says it one more time. He says, so you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. You know, you don't actually, if you're a financial, if you're a financial business person, you never actually make money unless you're willing to take the risk. Right? You can't, the, the bigger the risk, sometimes the bigger the reward, right? This may feel like a big risk, but I guarantee you the reward is so worth it. But don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. I, I want to begin to talk about it. I'm going to talk about this you know, throughout the year, 2014. We're going to talk about what this looks like. Because here's what I don't want, all right? You guys are all looking at me like, like I just brought you the, the worst news possible. Your grandma just died, and, 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 and you know, you got to go to the funeral now. I mean, you, that's the way you guys look at me right now. But let me just tell you that I don't want us to lose what we believe and exchange it for some kind of legalism. I believe that church life should be full of life and it should be full of fun and it should be full of a joy that goes beyond any kind of perceived happiness. And we, sh and we should share that together. And when we share that together, Something amazing happens in our community. Something amazing happens out here in Austin because we're sharing that in life together and then we begin to spill over into our neighbors. Something beyond our own capacity to enjoy ourselves starts happening. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So I don't want this to be a downer. I don't want this to be dreary. I want you to think, what, what, would, it, what would it look like if you could really live in a way that you saw yourself as a disciple and you were willing to invest in others to encourage them to come along. There's four things I want you to see here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of go through them. Four ideas, four characteristics for being a surrendered disciple, a person who surrenders their life. Are you ready? Surrendering your life to Christ is cyclical. It's cyclical. 
Most of us want to believe that make, becoming a disciple of Christ means that we learn all the Bible verses, we go to our class, and we learn the class in nine weeks, we, we learn all the material, and then they give us a stamp and a little certificate at the end. You're a disciple! Yay! Actually, that's not how it happens. Disci being a, becoming a disciple of Christ means that you engage in it for the rest of your life. And it happens over and over again at deeper levels. It's not a linear process. It's a cyclical process. It doesn't go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Okay, now you're done. It keeps revisiting places. Have you ever felt like you said, man, I just feel like I'm back here again. I thought I dealt with this issue in my life, and now I'm here again. You ever felt that way? I have. You know what that is? You know what it means? It means God's bringing you back around to deal with something at a deeper level. I'll give you an example. I was selfish when I was in college, and I felt like I needed to work on selfishness. And so I wanted, needed to be more loving and more, more selfless, so I took a missions trip. And I tried to work on myself and, and be nice to my roommate, and then I felt like I was doing pretty good. At four years of working on it in college, and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm a good disciple. Selfless, loving. But then I got married. And suddenly there was this person living this close to me all day long, and I was found to be a, a fraud that I, 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 was, I could manipulate my way to, to get my way, and I, would, I, would be, I became selfish again. I was like, where did this come from? Well, God was taking me to a deeper level of surrender. And as I worked on that deeper level of surrender with my beautiful wife who was so patient with me and she worked with me, I became a better husband. I did. But then I had children. <laughs> and then I like was totally selfish again. I was like, what in the world is this? These people don't do anything for you. They just eat, poop, and sleep. Like what, I'm getting up every night in the middle of the night and I'm grumpy and I'm grouchy and that makes me grumpy at my wife and I'm grumpy at work. And it, you know what God was doing? He was, he was taking me to another level of surrender, another level of selflessness that I wouldn't be, take it out on my coworkers because you know, you can't take it out on the baby, right? Because you love the baby, but you, so, but so you take it out on your wife or you take it out on your coworkers, because you're grumpy all day. No, see, Jesus wants to take charge and he wants to lead you in a cyclical way through the process. And, and, here's, and here's what this is. I, I, I thought of this one day as I was, I was evaluating this. Genesis 1.14. You know what it says? Here's what it says. It says, Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Everything in creation is built on a season. All of creation has cycles and seasons. You in your life, me in my life, our, our lives are full of cycles and seasons. And the enemy, the devil, wants to convince you that there are no seasons. That the one you're in now is the only one there will ever be. That's what he tries to do. He tries to convince you, oh, you screwed it up. It's over. It's over for you. Yep, you've messed it up. You can't even get back to God's plan. This season, you're, you're so screwed up, it's going to last the rest of your life. That's a lie. It's a lie because seasons are everywhere. God 
put the very fabric of seasons into creation and they're in our lives. And God's truth is there's always a season that's coming. There's always a new season that's coming. You just have to trust me, wait on me, be patient. Let me work in your life and I'll show you there's a new season coming. Now, it can work the other way, too. I mean, it's not just when you feel like you're in a bad season. It also works the other way. If you got life, I mean, life is great. You are living high. You got plenty of money. I mean, you are just raking it in. Life is awesome. Everything is amazing. The enemy's lie is, oh, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be this way. You don't have to save. You don't have to make sure you got something for the future. You, don't, you can treat any pe- people any way you want to because it's always going to be this way. You're always going to have the Midas touch. It's a lie. He wants to trap you and make you think that this season's the only one you're ever going to live in. If we're disciples, we understand seasons and cycles, and we understand God is leading us through places where we, we may have been before, but well-worn ground that he's, he's calling us to deeper surrender. Second idea is relational. Surrendered life is Relational. A surrendered life is not informational. Becoming a disciple is not about learning all of the information. That's, it's, not about, it's not just about knowledge. We do learn things. Learning things is really good, but that's not how you become a disciple. I know a bunch of people. I know seminary professors who have more knowledge of the scriptures than I'll ever have, and they don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It's not about information, it's about relationship. And it is not about, it's not, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it in an individual way. It requires interaction with God and it requires interaction with others. To grow spiritually, you have to have others engaging with you in your life. You have to let them speak their perspective and give them access to your heart. For you to make a disciple, you have to build a relationship with another person and and continue to help them see who they are and what God wants from them. Ephesians 4.15, if you've been around one chapel at all, you know this is a cornerstone scripture. This says, speaking the truth in love, we we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That means we speak the truth, we share it in love, we we grow, we begin to mature together, and, and we connect to the head, Christ. For from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The surrendered life is a life of connection. It's a life of relationship. It's a life of offering yourself. And, uh, and it has to be that there's a moment in every relationship when, when it's defined what kind of relationship is this going to be? And that moment is always whether or not you're going to tell them what's really going on. That moment is that, that, that moment when, when the other person confides in you and really lets you in. That begins to define a discipling and surrendered relationship. Christianity cannot be practiced as an individualized spirituality. It is not a thing you can just do by yourself. It is a communal faith. 
you learn and grow together. You, gl- you, you glean from others. You listen to others. They listen to you. You share together, and everyone learns together. And here's, what it should be ha- here's how it should work. You know, I, I have five things that I've taught our church that we do. Five things. In fact, I'm going to have you do it right now. Ready? Lift, put your hand up. Put your hand up. Ready? One. Okay, give me a one. Give me a one. Right? The one is weekend worship, right? We get together. We celebrate. We, have a, we, we vision cast. We, we minister to each other. And then two is square one. Square one. You know, if you don't know what square one is, you should go. It is an orientation to what this is we're doing around here. What one chapel, who one chapel is and what our values are. Then three is team one. Team one is the group that made all this stuff happen before you showed up. They worked behind the scenes, made sure you were taken care of. And I believe that discipling, becoming a disciple, one of the first steps is being willing to serve. I, I think it's worth being a part of. Then four, come on, don't give up on me. Come on. Four is connect groups. <laughs> Connect groups is where you build community and you begin to share together and you share your lives together. But every one of them, five, making disciples. Now, wait, keep your hand up. Wait, wait, go. Every one of these things has to touch disciple making. This is what we're called to do. Making disciples is what, we're not called to do weekend worship services. That's just a a part of the journey of making disciples. We're not just called to push a cart around the lobby. I mean, let's face it, no one's called to do that. No one's called to push a case, but what we are called to is serving one another and investing our lives in each other and sharing this experience together and then letting it spill out into the community that we live in in our neighborhood. You see, every part of what we do has to touch, has to touch discipleship, and that leads us to the third point, which is intentional. Living a surrendered life is, has to be intentional. It's not enough just to have friends. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just to kind of engage emotionally or spiritually with God from time to time. Making disciples doesn't happen by accident. It has to be done intentionally. There are intentional elements. Now, just... You, you can listen to me. I want you to listen clearly. I don't want you to turn there. I'm going to read this passage to you. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is Paul, and he's talking to Timothy. And he says this, And the things you have heard me say among many witnesses entrust to reliable men and women who will be qualified to teach others. That's four generations in that verse right there. Four generations of passing on. Now, I know some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I can never do this. I, I don't, I'm not, my life's not together. Oh, that's not one of the requirements. Having your life all together is not one of the requirements. Giving yourself to God and surrendering to him is the requirement. Then he says, here's what Paul says to Timothy. Right after he says, pass on this to, to other people who will pass it on to others. And then he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of all the crops. And then he says, reflect on this, and God will give you insight. Here's the insight. Military, athletes, farmers, Nothing that they do happens accidentally. It is intentional. It is strategic. 
It, it, is, it is something that happens on, a, on the, the ground level. You train for the war. You train for the battle. You strategize for the attack. You stra- strategize to defend. Athletes strategize on how to best work their muscles so that they become the best person who can win the race. There is a strategy involved in it. And this is the thing that's really hard on us. This is the thing that we have, we're going to have to wrestle with at one chapel over the next several years. And that, that is, what is, what is the strategic role of the church in creating a pathway for people? How can we make sure that we're actually setting things up so that people can disciple one another? That may not mean anything to you now, but it will. It means training. It means setting things up. I'll just give you an example. My kids, I have to set things up to see if they've learned what I've told them. Did you ever do that as a, as a dad or mom? You said, clean your room. You went through a process where you told them what clean your room really means because no child cleans their room perfectly the first time. So you tell them what they need to do to clean their room and then you go inspect it. The inspection, the cleaning, the, the, the training, the cleaning, and the inspection are all strategic elements of making sure your child can become a well-functioning adult. Some of you didn't get that kind of strategery from your parents. That was supposed to be funny. Have you guys checked out of me? Is it over? Are you done? Are you finished with this message? You're like, uh, you're getting too practical now. I don't know. See, here's the thing. The way, the way that you really see if you're a disciple is when the, when the pressure comes from somebody else. When somebody actually calls it out in you and says, hey, you reacted like really bad to me. That, that wasn't kind at all. And if you respond with, well, who do you think you are? Tell me what it is. See, you know that that's God working this out of you. It only happens in the moment of pressure. It only happens in the moment of intentionality where somebody's really digging and where you're really seeking we got to let that stuff happen. I don't even believe in accountability groups, by the way. Accountability groups are not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about relationships where people love one another, they're honest with each other, and they value those relationships so much that they fight for them. The byproduct of that is accountability. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? All right? I'm not just talking about people checking up on you. That's lame. That doesn't even work. It's legalism. What I'm talking about is relationships that are so meaningful that you want to honor them, that you want to learn, that you want to grow with them. Finally, the last thing is spiritual. It's not just a human process. We're not talking about a process that we can do with our own willpower. We can never become holy or grow spiritually simply by engaging in something like life coaching. Life coaching is good. There's there's nothing wrong with that. It is all the rage out here in Austin. Everybody wants a life coach. What I'm talking about is something deeper than that. I'm talking about a spiritual, supernatural process, the work of the Holy Spirit in a person. Because here's why. Here's why this is important. Because we're not, it's, it's not just life coaching, because we're not trying to make disciples of ourselves. We're trying to make disciples of Jesus, right? Not, not, not disciples of ourselves. It's disciples of Jesus. So it's okay for you not to have all your stuff together. You're getting it together. God's working in you, and you're figuring it out, but you're also helping somebody else figure it out too, and that's making you more selfless. 
Here's what 2 Corinthians 3.18, we'll end with this. Here's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. It says, and we who with unveiled faces, unveiled faces, it's referring to Moses. Moses came down off the Mount, Mount Sinai with a veil and his face was glowing and it freaked everybody out. Okay, Paul is saying that the work of Christ may freak people out, but we let them see the whole thing. But you know what we do? We, we cover. We, we come into church with a mask. We don't want people to see what's going on. I don't know if I want you to see this because it's, it's nasty in here. See, the work of Christ often isn't clean and tidy. But Paul says, take the veil off and let people see how Christ is working in you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Unveiled faces, we all reflect the Lord's glory. We reflect the Lord's glory. We're not in charge of generating the work. The Holy Spirit is in charge of that. We're the moon, not the sun. We reflect the, the, the light of the sun. We don't generate the light of the sun. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, changed into the likeness of Jesus, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. I love this. Ever-increasing glory. You should love this too. You know why? Because it means there's just a little bit of glory at the beginning. <laughs> you don't have to have a lot. You can't. It's just like a little bit. And then it, and it goes to more glory. And then there's ever-increasing glory in the transformation that's happening in your life. And it takes time. And it goes in a cyclical manner. And it happens with people in relationships. And it happens because you're intentional. It happens because the Holy Spirit's working in you. And then finally, which comes from the Lord... Once again, not of our undoing, who is the Spirit, the source, the Spirit, God's Spirit dwelling in us, the source of power and energy at work in us. Sign me up for that. That's what I want. That, I, I, I'm totally sold on that, and I want you to be sold on it too. Close your eyes, bow your head, and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you now in this moment. What is he saying to you? Is he encouraging you to yield an area of your life that you've kept from him? Is he asking you to surrender part of your life that you've just wanted to keep under your control? You haven't put it under his control? Most of you, if I'm speaking to you and, and God's putting his finger on something in your life, you know exactly what it is right now. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to wonder what it is. You know God is asking you for this area. You know he's asking you to surrender that thing to him. Would you just do it right there, right where you are? Just be willing to say, I, I give this to you, God. I'm sorry, I keep holding this too tight. I keep holding on to this. Hold on to this like a fear, like a, I hold on to it like something that's got me all confused and I don't know how to let it go. Lord, show me how to let this go, how to release this to you, how to let you be in charge so I won't worry and be full of anxiety all the time or so that I'll, I won't do my own thing and then, and then realize how messed up I, I've been. I, I want to surrender to you and I want to hear you calling me some of you are in the room and you're being nudged to invest in another person. You have plenty of maturity, you have 
plenty of history. You, you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've become isolated and you're just, you're just dealing with yourself. It's time for you to find a person to invest in, to share your life with, to encourage. Well, I don't even know how, where to start. Well, just start with making a friendship and see what the Holy Spirit begins to tell you and show you. God has a way of leading people right to the place where he wants them. And if you cooperate with him, then he's already working on somebody else. And so I want you, everybody in the room, let's just, let's just give everything. Let, let's just surrender willingly. You guys, just repeat after me. Everybody in the room, come on, let's just do this. Say, Heavenly Father, I give you everything. I surrender to you. Make me like Jesus. Change my mind. Change my heart. Forgive me for doing my own thing, for trying to be in control. I give you control. I surrender, and now I receive from you. I receive your love, your mercy, your grace, everything that you have for me. I am willing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us. Thank you for taking our, our place. Thank you for making it so that we could pray this prayer based on you giving us access to our Father God. Thank you. Spirit of the living God that's here hovering over us and around us and speaking to us and pointing things out. Father, this is how we want to live. Teach us how to do it every day. Teach us how to surrender. Help our ears to hear and our eyes to see and our hearts to know and our minds to understand that we are disciples. We follow you. And we are called to make disciples. Thank you for this, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.